much for this day, and we thank you for the strength to rise from our beds. We recognize, Lord, that uh, there are many who cannot do that. They're in hospitals and retirement homes and even in their homes. And maladies and sickness and disease and accidents and all that kind of stuff happens in this fallen world, a world that's filled with loss and brokenness, suffering, sorrow, sickness. We know it all too well. It makes us yearn to be with you, Lord Jesus, and to be with heaven where there'll be no more tears and no more obituaries, no more funerals, no more hospitals, no, no more need of physicians. It's hard for us to imagine. No more medications uh, the, in the day of our glorification. When we see him, we shall be like him. And we, we pray, Lord, that even so, come quickly, come for us. We've gathered in, the, in your name, Lord, to worship the Father, to, uh, to adore you, Lord Jesus, and to thank you for the Holy Spirit. And pray that you'd search our hearts. Lord, strengthen us. Some of us right now need to ask you to forgive us, Lord, uh, this uh, day-to-day, hand-to-hand combat with sin. We have sinned. And Lord, every one of us, I'm sure, have sinned this week. Forgive us. Cleanse our hearts and wash us. We know that sin's a great hindrance to hearing the Word of God. We pray for that. We pray, Lord, that you'd encourage us and strengthen us with food from the Word of God, that we might be doubled in our resolve by the power of the gospel to live for you and to choose righteousness, not wickedness. And yet we confess there's a bent within us and we despise it. We thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, for uh, loved ones, our families. Thank you, Lord, for our children and grandchildren. Thank you, Lord, that it's your idea. Thank you, Lord, for our country and the freedoms that we have here. There are some that stand watch while we carry on, even while we sleep. And they're watching because they're enemies of state that would destroy our way of life. We know that. And we're so thankful for the men and women in uniform, their families. And we ask that you'd strengthen them and give them resolve and protection, even in Afghanistan and Iraq and other dangerous places in the world. We're so grateful. Thank you, Lord, for our local law enforcement, that there really is a 911 in the midst of danger and trouble, Lord, we can call. And there, it's a part of your plan. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, for a church that you've raised up. And this is a very exciting year for us as a church. Lord, we sense uh, uh, in the latter months that you gave us, uh, and you did, a, a most beautiful piece of property. With a, with a house and a barn on it and a terrific location. And, and uh, as a pastor, spending time in prayer there yesterday and walking around it, trying to envision what it is of Jesus, if you should tarry, what you would have for us. And developing this as a worship, ministry, training center to reach the world in our community for Jesus. And I don't know the how, but you do. And I know you're greater than any in all things, Lord. And so... Uh, cause us as a people to be united, to love you, to have a burden, and to see the mission, to make disciples. And we ask that you would move heaven and earth to do something so great that only you would get the glory, only you. Give wisdom, Lord, we pray. Now we thank you, Lord, for each one that's here, and we come with a bundle of needs. And I pray, Lord, that only you could meet that. Encourage hearts, strengthen And those here, maybe young or old, that have never trusted the Lord Jesus as their Savior, may they be saved today. May they leave this place completely different, belonging to you, that they might say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Thank you so much. Lord, open the word now and teach us, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. The gospel changes everything. We're in this uh, little mini-series. Let me tell you where we're going. Next week, you don't want to miss, Jonathan will be home from seminary, and uh, he's uh, God's laid a message on his heart from Galatians chapter 6, uh, 1, to, uh, 1 to 6 there. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. We're going to talk about how the body ought to respond to each other, how we help each other grow taking heed because we're also also sinners and, uh, and helping each other grow in grace. So he said, God has given me a message, and I'm looking forward to that. And we're, we're, gra- we're grateful to have him uh, coming, coming.
coming home next week. Following that is uh, Palm Sunday, and we'll be that Sunday, and then move into Easter Sunday. The second uh, Sunday in April is uh, Easter Sunday, and that's always the highlight of the Christian calendar as we celebrate uh, the glory of the resurrection and planning a special service. Uh, and, and so, uh, so you be in prayer for that. Be inviting folks to come, and uh, let's fill this place and join with me as I pray. There's so many people that are unchurched, so many people that do not know the Lord Jesus, and uh, there's some open, have you noticed, we do have a few open seats, and we could pack this place out. Wouldn't that be great? So that's kind of where we're headed, and so on. The gospel changes everything. Well, take your Bible, look at Romans chapter 13. Somebody said, I never thought he was going to get out of 12. We are out of 12. Now we're in the 13. You know, the, the chapters weren't included until the 1500. The, uh, the chapter division, the verse division, Stephanus, uh, you know, took 15 centuries, right? You're like, I think it would help if we put it in paragraphs and number them and put a chapter. So when you tell people to find it, it doesn't take the next 30 minutes of people flipping pages, right? That's only the 1500s. So it's sort of arbitrary where the chapters fall. They're pretty good, most of them. The gospel changes everything. When I was a boy, uh, one of my childhood friends was Nick. Nick Rosart. My, my kids always make fun of me. How do you remember your childhood friends? I don't know, their first name, their last name, and everything about them. You know, I sort of do. I don't know why. I remember all my elementary school teachers. Maybe it's because uh, I was terrified of them. My father said they had his authority, and if I'm in trouble, you get home, you're going to get a double whammo. You know? <laughs> so I was sort of scared of them, so I learned their names and, and so on. But Nick Rosart lived right across the street. Nick was a few years older than me, tall, thin, you know, and all that. One day he was telling me, you know, he said, hey, Terry, you know what? I got dual citizenship. I go like, well, what? what's that? You know, can you imagine? I didn't even know what it was. He goes, well, he said, uh, I'm, I'm presently a citizen of Canada. My dad's French-Canadian and, uh, uh, and Mr. Rosart. And my mother, he married an American. And uh, Ro Rosalie, I think her name was Rosalie, and... Uh, this is Rosart. We never called anybody by their first name. I still call all those folks by their last name now. <laughs> you know how that is. Anyway, uh, and so I'm, um, I have uh, the option until uh, I'm uh, at 18, I have to choose. Nick's telling me at 18, I have to make a choice. I have to decide, do I want to be a United States citizen or do I want to be a Canadian citizen? But until that time... I'm sort of special. I got dual citizenship. And I, I thought that as a young kid. I thought, man, that, that's the neatest thing. Man, I only have one. I was born in the United States. Well, I later discovered that dual citizenship is not so rare. It's not so rare on a couple different planes. First of all, every American who is truly saved possesses it. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you have a dual citizenship. Say, well, I got a passport, but I only got one. Well, the other one, you don't need a passport issued. You are a citizen. We're going to talk about that, a citizen of heaven. And in fact, uh, churches are places that uh, actually issue those. Did you know that? We're going to issue those today, passports to heaven. Any of you have never trusted Christ, we're going to issue that today. You leave here being a dual citizenship through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. On a different plane, there are millions of people around the world who hold dual citizenship, and I'm rather amazed by that, and I've seen it firsthand. There are people of all different nationalities and from all different countries that hold not only, let's say, a Pakistani uh, uh, passport and citizenship, but they also hold a United States one. I've seen that, and I go like, how did that happen? You know, I'm not sure if it was legal or illegal or if they were forges or, or what, but I have discovered that, uh, that that is so. And the idea is, is that they're native-born in India or, or somewhere else, and uh, somehow they, 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 they acquired a U.S. passport and citizenship. And, uh, and I think the idea is if things ever get so bad over there, they're going to run the last hope and haven. Uh, here, the United States. I think that's sort of in the back of their mind, and or for their children or grandchildren, who they think, well, there's a better opportunity and a better life for them 
over in these United States. Now, we, we just think, don't all people live like this everywhere? Some of you have traveled. Some of you know in the military and otherwise, that ain't so. With pardons to my English teacher, that ain't so. We live by the standards of kings in a historical set. We are the envy of the world. People turn on the TV sets and huts and little places you can't believe, uh, and they'll see you know, Hollywood and, and all that and think, well, all Americans, they would leave their country in a moment, many, many of them, if they could figure out how to get the United States and get in here and be at the prized U.S. citizen. Well, when you possess the treasure of the gospel, and you do so by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin, you are instantly, instantly, don't have to wait three weeks and send in two checks to the, to the, to the United States government, State Department, to get it issued instantly. You become a citizen of heaven. Though earthly, I'm reminded, earthly citizenships are of far lesser importance they are important in the gospel because it changes everything. Paul is going to tell us now. It even changes the way we practice our citizenship on earth here in these United States. And so in Romans chapter 12, we're going to discover two directives clarifying our duties as citizens of an earthly kingdom, yet while possessing a far better one. That's the heavenly one. And yet the gospel impacts the way I live my life under the government, under the state, in the civil affairs. I mean, uh, the early Christians may have wondered, does serving the king of kings negate obedience to an earthly sovereign? He was going to write that uh, uh, it, it doesn't. And in fact, it notches it up, and he's going to tell us the reasons why. And so two directives. The first one is, uh, we're just in summary, we're to submit to the authority of the state. And then he closes in 6 and 7, we are to support the work of the government through giving, through our giving. I don't know if you ever thought of your income taxes as God's program for fundraising, but <laughs> through your giving. But not only your dollars. But Paul is going to tell us, as those who possess the gospel and the power of the gospel in our life, that we are to be engaged in giving more than just our money. And we'll note just what that is as we look at the text. The gospel causes heavenly citizens to be better earthly ones. Incidentally, that's why wherever the gospel has taken root in a people's, uh, uh, in a country or in a community, and uh, I, I'm not, I'm not um, uh, suggesting there's ever been a majority. You know, a few years ago, you used to hear a lot about the moral majority. Never, never really convinced there was a moral majority. We're such rebels and sinners at heart and born that way. Uh, there was more of a consensus in the community, uh, a remembrance of Christian, but I don't think ever a majority. But wherever there's been a larger population of people that are genuinely redeemed, uh, the salt and the light and the effect that they have in the greater community in caring for mercy ministries, those that are needing uh, all kinds of care and whatnot, uh, it notches it up. It improves the community. Um, uh, Christians work harder. They should be diligent. They're not just showing up, but they realize, hey, I don't work just for my boss here, but I work for the Lord. And God has me here, and so I'm going to do a dollar's worth, a day's worth of work for, the, for a day's worth of pay. And so they're going to be industrious. And bit by bit by bit, as they, they, uh, they're, they're loving their neighbor, they're not stealing uh, his car or his wallet. You see, there's less crime. There's opportunity for growth and community development and not some of the negative things of society that suppress evil and crime in criminology and prisons and more it's productive and builds up and you see that you'll see that in cultures and you see the opposite of it where there's a where there's a rampant lawlessness or rioting the whole infrastructure tends to crumble and people are left down with the most meager of subsistence 
They stay indoors. They may lose utilities. They can hardly scratch out food to eat. You can imagine all of that when there's, where there, when there's that kind of breakdown in society, and we see that. We see that in some instances. I, I held my breath with the Arab Spring. I go like, oh, no, what's going to happen? And, and, and our friends, in, uh, our Egyptian friends, nervous they, they were expatriates at this point about what is happening last year. You know, okay, Mubarak is bad, but what's the alternative, you know, to this? This, it could be far worse. And now it's a year later, and you look at pictures of, of uh, Cairo and some of these places, and the infrastructure is horrible. This is far worse than we ever imagined. Will they be able to turn this thing around, or is it going to get worse? We look at Syria. We look at, remember the, the trouble in Lebanon in the 80s there? That, you know, Beirut used to be called the Paris of the Mediterranean. Now, they're trying to rebuild and all that, but the fighting between the people, the, uh, the radical uh, Muslims uh, tearing the Christian Lebanese apart and destroying and killing and all that, went on for years and years and years. Remember that? Remember that terrible thing when when the uh, cars blew up that marine base and all those U.S. Marines under Reagan's administration were killed. It was a horrible, horrible thing. And that was it. Reagan said, that's it. They're coming out. It's a civil war. That's it. I think he made the right decision in that case. Wow. Well, if you know Christ, you possess the gospel, it changes you. We saw in chapter 12, it changes you in your relationship to the Lord. Now you're before the Lord. You're worshiping. Now you're in your thinking. You're, you're not being conformed to the world, uh, Romans 12, 2. You're resisting that. Uh, three, you're humble, right? Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Four to eight, you're in a body. There are different gifts. Elevate the, elevate the weaker gifts. It's a body. It's called a church. And, and, uh, and we enjoyed uh, uh, seeing all of that. And, uh, and, and so on. And now he moves into chapter 13 in our, our responsibilities uh, to, to the state. And he's saying there are two directives. Let's, let's read the passage in Romans 13. Let every person be subject, I'm in verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities... Resist God, resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant. Now listen, that's the word minister or deacon. Deacon, diakone, deacon. He is, we have deacon in the church, right? Deacons in the church. That's the word for it. Or, or, or minister, if you will. He's God's minister for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Well, the first directive, uh, clarifying our duties of those of who possess the gospel, that's you and me, if you know Jesus as we live, in uh, South Central Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, the United States of America, there are duties that Paul is saying that are incumbent upon us. The first one, in a word, is that you and I are to voluntarily submit to the authority of the state. A, the command is given, let everyone, that's everyone, you're in the picture. Not like my grandfather, my mother's dad, who was never very good with a camera, and he loved those Polaroids when those Polaroids, this was the best thing since sliced bread, you know. He'd be taking snapshots of my brother and I, but Grandpa always had a problem. He always chopped our heads off. Grandpa, you missed my right arm. Grandpa, I'm, my head, where is it? Oh, uh, he always said, uh, uh, what did he say, Sam Houston or something. I don't, oh, Sam, 
Sam Hill. You were there. That's right. Yeah. Oh, Sam Hill. Let's do, he'd shoot that stuff right up. Well, not like that. You and I, if you know Christ, you're in the picture here. Let every person, that's all of us, be subject to the governing authorities. This imperative is given to all. It means that as Christians, we willingly place ourselves under all governing civil authorities and the manner of our life is to continue to do this. It's a present imperative. This is the way of life. This is the way that ought to characterize your life. It has what? Law-abiding citizens. That's the idea. And, and the word is, it's a military term, hupoteso in the Greek. It means um, you may have greater ability, you may be smarter and certainly better looking than the governing authorities and the powers that be, and after all, they're stupid, right? And so you know really what, the, what is the better way to do it, and so, no, it's not any of that. It, those things may be true. You may be far brighter than the law or something, but you are to, and I am, to voluntarily place myself under them in rank. That's the idea. It's a military term. And I, I submit to their God-given authority. I see beyond them God. That's what Paul is saying here. It ought to characterize our life. Not on again, off again. Now, this, this text is going to beat you up pretty good. Beat me up pretty good. I, I, had, to, I had to repent. I did. You know, I, well, let, me tell, let me jump ahead here. We're Americans, right? Most of us. We're not going to check ID at the door. Don't get nervous. Some here. <laughs> All right? So we like free speech. I get to say whatever I want to say, right? And you know what? We shoot our mouth off, and we'll talk about it a little bit more later because he's really pointed on that. It's the American way. And that person there and that off, they're stupid, or that judge over there. And we feel very American to do that. <clears throat> and this text is going to... This text is going to beat you up a little bit on that. I hope it does. It convicted me. It convicted me of that. I may be totally in disagreement with political policy or practice, and there's a way that I can practice, I can respond to that, but as a Christian, I do not have the liberty to walk around and pick and choose what laws I'm going to obey. That one's stupid, that one's good, I'll do this, I won't do that. You know, but we, but I'm sensing in this uh, day with increasing anarchy, that's the way people are living. You know, I, I, I and shall we get, we'll go right to one, right? That we're all guilty on the speed limit, right? I think people think that's a suggestion. <laughs> Have you seen that? Have you driven 95 lately? I think people think that's the speed limit. And we go down, that's the way our, we go down to Georgia, see the kids, or Jonathan, and we shoot over on 85, and the, that's sort of, the, sort of the speed limit. Like, uh, here's a suggestion, 95. Oh, no, I'll do 10 over, you know, or something like that. Or it, we, we treat these things like they're, I can pick and choose. No. He is saying in a broad sweeping statement, if, if you have the power of the gospel, and the gospel changes everything, it ought to change you from the inside out. You'll recognize that the authority of the state is a borrowed authority from God for good reason, and he's going to tell us why it's good reason. And we ought to be like model citizens. And anyway, it becomes then a platform for us to share the love of Jesus with people. I mean, if we're filled with rebellion, and we are by nature, I remember in school, I was impressed learning to spell the longest word in the English language. You, you know what that is? What is that? Yeah, I love it because it had my name in it, you know, Terryism. And it fit because this guy is, this guy's rebellious, just like you, anti-disestablishmentarianism. And you kind of write this and you impress your second grade teacher that I can, I can spell something, right? Right, sis? This is a teacher. And, uh, and so, <laughs> rebellion, it's a part of us. 
And they're not suggestions or laws. And if we live in open rebellion or arbitrary obedience, um, it hinders our life message and testimony. It does. Think about the... And, you know, your life message is known. You know, you hear that, you fool some of the people some of the time, but not all the people all the time. And what's that mean? People get to figure you out. They, 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 I mean, you don't always know, and please, I don't always want to know. But you sort, we have our patterns and our routines and, and responses and, uh, in life. Those around you at work and your family, your neighborhood and all that, they do that. That's one of the great things, incidentally, Dad, to love the Lord with all your heart, you know, and from your heart out, because your kids, it'll set your, the, your hearts uh, the hearts of your children aflame, and they'll never get over it. They figure it out. Don't just say it and play something totally different. That's the worst thing to do. But strive, because of the gospel in your life, Listen, we're going to obey the Lord in this. And even things that are like, oh, that's a dumb, dumb thing. I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's the rebellion that's in you and in me. It's in all of us. Own up to it. You know, you look better than what you are. <laughs> so do I, I guess. But that's the point. It ought to characterize our life. Look, B, uh, regardless of the many failures of government, and there are many, aren't they? Holy cow. Failures of government. Fail you know, we forget they're sinners. They are sinful people. We elect or end up uh, in, in kingships, sovereigns, dictatorships, whatever, whether they're elected or seize it by power. They're sinful people like us. They're sinful. They're not perfect. They're not God. Washington, it, Washington's not heaven. Harrisburg's not heaven. Have you noticed that? Yeah, so you're like, yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> it's not. We, we thank the Lord for that. We're looking for our Lord to come from heaven, the celestial city. They're sinful people trying to do what I think is an impossible job. And I'll tell you why that in a little bit. They need our prayers, they need our support, they need our respect. And we have lost civility because we've lost the fact that's a person made in God's image who has a different opinion, you know, and we need to treat them as such and, and not attack the person. We can, we can disagree in logic and in argument, but stop where you cross over, where you feel like you're losing at this and say, and you're ugly too, or you're stupid too. No, keep it on the facts. Keep it on. That's what we, that's the, that's the American way. Dialogue on the issue here. And, 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 and in your frustration, don't attack them. Okay, you've lost. You've lost. Anyway, so we'll, we'll talk more. Regard, they're failures. I think in marriage it's the same way. Sometimes people, I read a book, saw a book lately um, entitled, um, um, I can't think of the title. But the thesis is, is sometimes we forget we, we married sinners. That's, that's really an amazing thing, right? Uh, faith is almost a saint, but she, she is a sinner. She is. She's a saint for having lived, and I've made her saintly by her living with me. You know. But the, the reality is, all of you, if you're married... Guess what? You're married to a sinner. Should that surprise you why there may have problems and disagreements and, 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 and arguments sometimes? No. And we forget that in the government. These are sinful people. Some of these, many of them are lost. They don't even have the God's help uh, in, to help them in their governance. And so many governments are failures. They're immoral. They're unjust. They're ungodly. We are to pray for our leaders. We're to pray for them. Paul tells us that clearly in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Pray for those in authority that we might live quiet and peaceable lives uh, and so on. But the, many governments are that way. That's not the test. Well, I don't agree with them anyway, so, and they're a bunch of losers, so I'm just going to go do what I want. You, you do not have license to do that. I'm not paying my income tax. Well, good. I'll come visit you in jail then. You're going to find that out. They'll find you. You can run, but you can't hide. You, you don't want to be a pen pal with the IRS. They will find you. Okay? And, uh, and so I don't agree with them using my money for, uh, and so on. Well, 
uh, remember, I'm going to say it a couple of times, remember whom Paul is, who was uh, the big shot when Paul is writing this. Rome, Romans, ever hear of Nero? I mean, that, that, he was a perverted, demented, wicked little man. I mean, he was, and he would eventually have Paul killed, and Peter killed, and uh, harass the church, and uh, he is the head of state. I mean, he, really. And he's writing, and he's saying, listen, think of the greater context. Let every, uh, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Uh, Georgie Vins, some of you know of Georgie Vins, the Russian pastor, who for many years before the fall of the Soviet communism suffered along with many others. He was persecuted for his faith, yet he recounts that however severe their um, persecution and mistreatment, pastors and other Christians there in Russia during those days determined to obey every law, just or unjust. Without, with the exception of laws that would force them to cease to worship or to disobey God's word. They followed Peter's admonition in, in, in 1 Peter 3.17. Uh, they willingly suffered for doing what is right, but not for doing what is wrong. They would not suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a troublesome meddler, but would gladly suffer as a Christian. That's what Paul is, is telling us here. Uh, that, uh, that's for us. See, the, what about the limitation? And we're all, we all know about that. Uh, what, uh, what about the limitation to this duty to submit to ourselves to the governing authorities? Well, uh, there is only one limitation, and that is, as Georgie Vins intimated there, when the civil government requires us by law to disobey God's word then we, and then and only then, must we be willing to disobey graciously in the Spirit of Christ, disobey and be willing to suffer the consequences of that, and not moan and groan and complain and all the rest, but commit ourselves to the Lord, who is our keeper anyway. Now, I remind you that this is few and far between. This is not an everyday occurrence. Thank the Lord for that. We would struggle with that, I think. I know that the state is, is temporal and only affects things that are temporal, not things that are spiritual, not things that are eternal. And when the state crosses that line of temporal civil governance and, and, uh, and, and commands that we disobey the clear, clear, underlying clear teaching of Scripture, not some sort of remote place, how did you ever get that idea we never would have found it, but the clear teaching of Scripture, then we choose, as the Apostle said, you choose for yourself. Is it right to obey God or man? And they chose to obey God. The Apostles there in Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5. What are some noted examples of this the disobedience. How about Exodus 1.17? I have it on your sheet. The, uh, the children of the Israelites were in Egypt. They were there all those years. God gave a lot of growth to the Hebrew women, and they bore a lot of fruit. And the Hebrew children and the nation was growing larger and larger and larger there in the land of Goshen, and they were going to overwhelm the, the Egyptians. And so what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Uh, they're going to take over. All right, let's kill Let's order that the midwives who deliver the babies, if it's born a boy, that they should kill the boy. Uh, drown the boy, uh, the baby boy in the Nile River. And you know the story. That's, uh, that's the context in which Moses was born, Moshi, Moses, and uh, his mother hid him in the bulrushes along the river there. And uh, it's a wonderful story uh, that really happened that shows the care of God, right? God, the irony of God to take that little child who was uh, found there floating in a basket, pitch covered, his sister Miriam watching from a distance. Now the daughter Pharaoh goes down there and to bathe in the Nile, finds the basket with the baby. She runs and tells her mama, oh mama, oh mama, the princess took our baby. And then as God's irony 
Miriam approaches and suggests that a Hebrew nurse that baby, Moses' mother. Moses' mother is going to get paid to nurse and to care for her baby, who is going to be raised now in the court of Pharaoh. I'm telling you, only God could do that. That's amazing. Amazing the way God is able. Listen, nothing is impossible with God. That's the way I, I pray. I, I go back to our property. And, and you know, Jesus, with a little boy in the lunch, and he gives the lunch, the five loaves and the two fishes. And he, says, he gives it to the Lord. Little is much when God's in it. Have you noticed that? The edict, kill the, kill the baby boys. And in that is the deliverer, Moses, who is the, is the type of Jesus who's going to be our Savior. The themes, the redemptive themes that weave through the Word are phenomenal. How about another one? How about Daniel 3? Uh, the, the three, uh, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the, the golden idol, they're probably Nebuchadnezzar, and the music goes, everybody bow down. These guys had back problems. They wouldn't do it. No way. Well, okay, guys, let's try it again. They gave them a second run at it. No, we can't do it. Why? Because we shall not worship anything, anyone else, anything else other than the Lord our God. We can't do it. And, and, uh, and, and God delivered them through the fiery furnace, didn't he? And how about Daniel 6? You know, here's, a, here's, a, here's, a, here's the, the king, Darius. You know, what a great decree. You mean nobody prays to anybody but me? Oh, really? Yeah, I like, you know, like okay, let's do it. <laughs> Only one problem with that. You know, you got a stubborn man who loves the Lord, says, what's this? No, can't do that. And don't you love the text? It says, every day as he had always done, three times a day, with the windows open toward Jerusalem. Think he went and hid in the closet? He's like a top official. Stay by the door. Three times a day. Lord, this is my lunch prayer time. And, and they knew his testimony so well, they, knew they could count on him to do this. They're trying to... It snay him out, right? That's what they were doing. And uh, you, thrown in the den of lions, God shuts, gives them a bellyache that night and uh, delivers Daniel. And uh, the bellyache went away and uh, his enemies got eaten up for, lunch, for breakfast there that day in Daniel 6. And then Acts 4, another example. I mean, we do have these examples showing us that obedience to the state is never absolute, never Never, never, never absolute. Well, a number of reasons now given for our, why we should obey. I appreciate that. And then 1B uh, through 5. It's a reminder now, think clearly now, think biblically. There are only three institutions of God. God, the oldest institution is marriage, created in the Garden of Eden. That's marriage. That's the oldest. The second one is the state, government. It wasn't at the beginning, We'll talk about where it came from, but God created that as a result of the fall and the wicked action of men and women. And the third institution is the church, the assembly of the redeemed. And they all occupy different realms. And we believe in the separation of church and say we don't think that the state ought to have an official church like many places do. Uh, in, if you were in Sweden, the official state church there is Lutheran. Um, the Church of England uh, in England, that, that is the tax money supports the pastors and the buildings. It is a state church. But in America we said, no, wait a minute. Uh, our early settlers and thinkers, uh, based on the Scripture, said there ought to be a separation, meaning doesn't mean that the church doesn't influence the state. That, that's a horrendous interpretation of it. It means that there's this, the United States government doesn't have a, a, a religion that is sanctioned as the one of the state. The Episcopalians would be the Church of England on this side of the Atlantic, or Lutheranism, or Romanism, or Baptist, or Presbyterian. The official state church of, of Scotland is Presbyterian. You see, but we don't have that here. We go like, no, wait a minute, that's not right. That's, they're separate. They shouldn't, one ought to influence the other, uh, but uh, they, uh, that's, that, and I think with wisdom that was done. 
Well, here's a number of reasons. And the reason number one why uh, obedience to the state is important is that government is God's idea. Verse 1b, it's God's idea. There is no authority except from God. He instituted it. In Genesis 9-6, that's a reference you ought to know, is the first intimation of human government in the Bible. And it, and it, it, it follows the flood, the destruction of humanity, and uh, a new covenant given to Noah when he's coming off the ark, and, and he makes a statement, by man, if someone sheds one's blood, then by man, singular, in a collective sense, his blood shall be shed. Now that's the very seminal thought for government, and that involved capital punishment. If it involved capital punishment, it involved government, uh, regulation and oversight of all lesser crimes, thinking that, that uh, capital punishment is by far the most serious. Now, let me just back up one thing. When you come to Genesis 9-6, God has just destroyed the world that was. And from what we can tell in that early chapters of Genesis, when Adam and Eve were thrown out of the Garden of Eden, east of Eden, and they lived a very long time, and the population will be really began to grow because of the long ages and all of that, and went on for centuries of time, there was no human government. There was no government whatsoever. None. Every man seemed to do what was right in his own eyes. Murder was awful. Some of these prehistoric creatures, uh, dinosaurs, which are giant lizards and all that, roamed the earth. It was a an interesting time where people would kill each other at the drop of a hat. And so when you come to Genesis chapter 6, the text says that God was grieved that he even made man because the thoughts and the intent of his heart was wicked all the time. And God said, that's it. And in his mercy, saves eight people in an ark and some animals. And then he begins again in chapter 9, after the year-long flood, worldwide flood, here we have the Noah's covenant and the institution of human government to be a suppression to evil, to reign in evil. God is the originator of government. Look at B, under 9.6. Jesus, you see this, even when Jesus told Pilate at his arrest, uh, when Pilate says to Jesus, don't you know that I have the power and the authority? And, and Jesus answered and said, you would have no power or authority but from God. Now, that's an interesting statement that we often miss, but it shows that government, there's only one ultimate source of authority, that's God, and he's delegated it. And now here's the governor, Pilate, by God's degree and the flow of history, in redemption he's going to die. And he's standing before this governor, and this governor thinks he's really, uh, you know, highfalutin. Don't you know who I, I have the power of? Jesus said, God has given you that. All authority is borrowed from him. John chapter nine, 19. Number two, refusing to submit to the state is to resist God. That's a tough spot to be in. How'd you like to be on the other side of a tug-of-war rope with God on the other side? I wouldn't want to do that. To resist the state is to resist what God has ordained. Three, those who resist government will be punished. Listen, the, the bottom line to what government is, government equals force. That's what it is, force. They have the ability to force people. And God has built it and designed it so it would keep a lid on the evil expression and crime of depraved fallen men and women who would rise up and kill if they thought they could get away with it, the drop of a hat, and still a lot of murder goes on. I'm sorry to say last week around this time, did you read that in the paper? It's a terrible thing. We're right there on Market Street in Harrisburg uh, and 15th, I think. And a taxi driver was there. I think he was waiting to get his mom or he was waiting to pick up someone coming out of church. And somebody uh, stuck a gun in the back of his head and blew his brains out. 11.15 in the morning, if I'm remembering right on the time. And he was at large. I think someone just they just arrested somebody on that. 11.15 in the morning. 
Now listen, if we didn't have police and authority, it's, it's bad enough. Life is bad, but it could be far worse. Now here's the point. Imagine someone's trying to break in your house at night and you hear something. How about if you're home alone? You go like, what is that? And you go, where's my phone? Right? Aren't you glad there's at least a 911 and somebody really answers? They may put you on hold, but they do answer. Aren't you glad for that? I mean, um, there's somebody to call. There was a period of human, there was nobody to call. And God has ordained us to keep a lid on the sinful acts of men and women. That would, men would kill each other far more than they do in, in a fit of anger and rage. If God had not instituted government, which equals force, And now here, you and I live, we're to be a godly society, doing good, living peaceable within an ungodly society, and allowing the light of Jesus to reign. You see, the gospel changes us. And so we don't call the police, as I grew up, oh, they're pigs, you know. Oh, they're the pigs. And and some of that 60s stuff and forward. and, And they're the man. They represent the man, you know, and all that stuff. We're like, whoa, I better get a biblical understanding here. Now, there are some bad ones. There are bad eggs and everything, right? And we hate to see that. But they're there for a God-approved reason. Those who resist the government will be punished. And Jesus approved the state's right to exercise capital punishment. He said in Matthew 26, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. He's referring to government. And even that, the sword there would refer to capital punishment. Well, four, government serves to restrain evil. In our text, we see that. Remember the world prior to the flood. Five, the government serves to promote the common, the common good. I love that in three and four. Uh, look at that. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? then do what's good, and you'll receive his approval. Nothing improves your driving or mine than by looking in my rearview mirror and noticing someone behind me. It's amazing. It looks snappy. looks sharp. Where's that speed limit? <laughs> you have no fear, but go racing through town, and they're like, oh, you know, and on all other matters. Uh, you have no fear of it. No fear. that the, the government promotes, or they should, the common good. I remember when our David was down visiting uh, in Fort Myers, Florida, and uh, he went, he was visiting Faithy's sister, he and Neil Eckert, and uh, they went to the beach on Sanibel, and he, on the public beach, walked out onto the beach, and there's a bunch of people standing there looking at a couple that had come over from the uh, other shore, from the Atlantic side, for the day, and they're in the uh, channel there between the mainland and Sandwell, and they're being swept into the channel, and they can't swim. And the people are standing there watching. I mean, standing watching. And, and Dale, uh, uh, David, our David and, and Neil walked up, and, and, and David sized it up very quickly, and with no thought to himself, went running to the water and dove in and swam out and grabbed the woman who was already throwing up. She was, she was under. And he held her up. Finally, a boat came by, a fisherman's boat, and he grabbed her by and threw her into the, the boat. And she was, she was just about out. She was unconscious. She was vomiting and, <clears throat> and so on. And uh, they got her to the shore. They had called the helicopter. The husband, uh, he, made it, he didn't get swept in as far. He's crying away. He thought he lost his wife. And so David goes with him to the hospital and all that. And long story short, uh, God used my son, who had no thought for himself, to move in when a bunch of people sit around like, oh, what are we going to do here? You know, like, there's a need here. Do something. And, 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 And he saved her life. And the town there did what was right. You know, they big splash in the paper. I said, Dave, you're the 
big man around town there. Oh, Dad, I'm not. You know, they gave him the key to the city. They gave him four nights at some resort. And he took us all out to the restaurant. He said, this is my tree. <laughs> but the government was right. See, they were promoting the common good. That's good stuff. You know, here's a guy that helps somebody here. And I'm ever so proud of what he did. He had no thought for himself. Um, that's what the government does. They suppress the evil. But when good things are done... You know, you got to elevate that up. People are like, look at that. Isn't that great? It's so wonderful. That's the role of the government. And that's why if you do good, you don't need to be afraid. They're God's servants. He calls them. They're God's deacons. Whether they realize it or not, they are. You have no fear if you do what's good. And number six, rulers are empowered by God to punish evil. They bear the sword. Now, the sword here is the symbol of authority. It's like a, today a pistol or a police badge. I don't know how I remember, but Officer Ron Belvis was a juvenile detective in our city. I don't know how I know him, his name by name, except he was in my driveway a few times. He was a real big guy. And I remember looking at his, his holster there. He's like, the big badge here. Terry, come over here. <laughs> We got some reports in the neighborhood here again, you know. <laughs> you never, you always, you don't want people to know, you want to go under the radar. But I, they, they, and I never got a record or anything, which was a miracle, and nothing bad. Just, you know, I'll tell you later. Just, <laughs> but uh, I was always impressed with that badge in the, in the, in the gun. He just, he put it right there, like, that's a symbol of authority. You know, that's not his. He's not a vigilante out there. He, that, everything of the government stood behind that. And if you went back far enough, it's God standing behind that so that this juvenile nine-year-old Terry comes to understand authority and they bear it not in vain. Do you got the message? Yeah, I think I do, you know? And that sort of, should I? Should, I think I'll go home. <laughs> it helps. It helps. Not always, but it helps. And so we're to submit. The gospel changes us. It changes us. Uh, for there's only one ultimate source of authority. It's God and all powers delegate. Quickly, and we'll close the second directive, and it's a lot shorter, uh, clarifying our duties as citizens of an earthly kingdom while possessing a far better one, is that we're to support the work of the government through our giving. Hey, our taxes provide for God's servants. That's what he's saying in verse 6. For, it's explanatory, for because of this you also pay taxes. For the authorities are God's ministers attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Now you should know, I read someplace, the Roman Empire at this time would extract 40 to 50% taxes. You know, 40 or 50 percent seems ingenious, man's ability to be able to tax other men and squeeze it out of them. Just amazing how that is for government services, uh, for protection, for enhancement, for the common good, and for a lot of other stuff too as well, I guess, right? Jesus' words, remember his words when he was asked, they were trying to trick him, should we pay taxes? There, and this answer in Matthew 22, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and the things that are God's, give those to God. In other words, the, there are limitations on government. And the coinage had Caesar's face on it. They hated that. They considered that an icon or an image that violated the Ten Commandments. Make not an image of anything. And the audacity of the Roman coinage for Caesar, Tiberius, and the rest to put uh, their picture, picture on that on that coin. Look, that's got his image. Give it to him. You bear the image of God. Is the point? You give yourself to God because you belong to Him. Well, uh, second, governing will be increasingly difficult in the last days. What do you think? There's going to be a greater spiritual uh, spirit of uh, anti-authority. We sense it in our land. I mean, uh, I, there's, there's, you don't have to fuel it much. It's in all our hearts, you know, this anti-disestablishmentarianism. 
But uh, you see it everywhere. Not only the way people drive, but they feel very free to pick and choose. I like that law, I'll keep that law. I don't like that one, who cares? Uh, like this. And we're a, we're a collective society, a community. And God has said, wait a minute, this is to suppress evil, it's to promote the good, and if you possess the gospel, if you possess the gospel, this ought to be a mark of your life, that you're law-abiding. Because you recognize it's God's law. And they're God's servant. Not in church, but in civil matters they are. And therefore, we should strive to, to keep the law. And then B, we're to give more than our dollars. Uh, we also, by Paul's words here, because of the gospel, we're to give leaders our respect and our honor. Now, I failed in this. Sometimes I've shot off my mouth politically. We have a very political family. My father ran for office in Buffalo. Uh, he won. Um, Paul, my brother will probably, he's on the short list, to be the city judge um, in a couple of years. And when we get together, we catch up. We share what God's been doing. And it's very common, what's happening in Washington. I mean, it's, we're very, very aware of that. We understand precincts, voting, Greg comes, my son-in-law comes from that family. His, his mother is a, a, an Arkansas state senator who almost was in Congress. She came that close to winning a congressional seat there. So we, we, we're, we, we, we come from that mindset, enjoy that. We watch that. Uh, and we express our opinions that way. But there, there are certain guidelines, though. And I, it gave me pause to think about it. I, I've crossed that too much. I, I don't want to be known as a Democrat or Republican. I want to be known as an American, but as a Christian. That we have something far superior. And I don't want people to hear uh, a political opinion blowing off on this person or that person. So they, they X me out and never care to hear the real message of Christ. I go like, Lord, help me to reorient this thing. I've crossed the line and have failed in that. I'm shooting my mouth off in ways I shouldn't. And help me in this. There's a time to say things. There's a way to say things. But there are some certainly other things that are far better. And, and the call to honor them. Honor them. Imagine that. Honor them, he's saying. He, the Roman government. Honor and respect. What? For their place of authority. Maybe not for them. Maybe they're absolute immoral piggish. With apologies to pigs that only do what God told them to do. Really, think about it. They have almost an impossible job. The problems in our fallen, broken world are so enormous that they seem to be without solution. Can I say it? They are without solution, ultimately, until Jesus comes. They are. How do you, like you like to deal with some of the problems in this world, in the communities, in the states, in the governments? How would you? They're beyond. I think they're beyond human ability to, to tackle and say, cross that one out. We've, we've solved that. And so they need our understanding. They need our support. They need our prayers. Our Congress people, our state and local, our local governments, our president, the Supreme Court. And the way we speak about that and the way we, you know, we, we, uh, uh, we pray shows the effect of the gospel in your life and mine. So because of their position, I urge you to, in the gospel in your life, strive to have the right attitude. Have the right attitude. Have the right attitude. I really urge you to do that. The gospel changes everything. Now let me say a few things, because uh, uh, insofar as that, we have the privilege in our country to vote. Pray, pray, be informed. Get involved, share your opinion, write the op-ed pieces for the paper. Uh, call your assembly people, let them know who you are. Pray for your folks. And vote, by all means, vote. We're not, we, we don't politicize the church. We're not going to bring in candidates and that kind of thing. You know, look at the issues. Hold your Bible up. Lord, whom should I vote for here? What are the repercussions of that? And I'm of the opinion, if you, if you don't vote, if you don't, then don't even say anything about anything. 
Because you just, you, you just lost all credibility. Why, why don't we just go live in, in some authoritative state, authoritarian state, where we have no voice. We have a little voice, a little squeaker of a voice, but a lot of little squeakers together can make a difference. And that squeaker is our vote. That's the strongest way we communicate. We pray for them. Oh, God, I don't know how they do what they do. I don't know how they can stand the people. How'd you, have to, how'd you like to deal with a lot of unsaved, grouchy, grumpy, miserable people? Bev, I'm praying for you more. You answer the phone for the state assembly, gal. Our, I went, holy cow, at the other end of that. And, and how'd you like to deal with that? As a pastor, I go, like, people come to me and say, We're, let's take it to the Lord. You know, like, let's pray. <laughs> what do you do in that situation? You can't believe it. As a kid, I remember people calling over dinner hour. My father was in city government, and people would rant and swear and so over over. I get off. I said, "What was that about?" Well, they have a crack in their sidewalk. <laughs> I said, "You're kidding me, right?" No. And it messed up her whole world because it was supposed to be ripped out and laid last Tuesday, and they never got there. And <laughs> That never happens, right, Bev? <laughs> Unbelievable. The gospel changes everything. Let's look at some lessons for our life and see how, by recapping otherwise, the gospel working in, in our lives after being saved changes us. It'll make us better citizens. It should, here and now, as we strive to obey the laws of the land. It will, it does. Christianity and good citizenship go hand in hand. And the blessings of that flow into a land. Number two, again, think how, how, uh, how difficult it would be living uh, today in a sinful world and think how much worse it would be if there were no civil authorities. How about that? Can you even imagine that? Can you even imagine that? You know what? I mean, domestic violence... Those guys go rushing in. Those ladies, they rush in. I, that, that's, that's terrifying. Or, or, or the drug issues and the drug culture and, and, and all the vice and all the things. Just that there are people there trying to keep a lid on that. Just think if they weren't there. Oh, it causes me to say, Lord, thank you. Wow, thank you, Lord. No more. Uh, uh, wow. Number three, we're determined, we are determined only to disobey the law when it calls us to disobey the Lord. And then we would be willing to suffer for it. Only when it, when it directly contradicts the clear teaching of Scripture. The apostles were told, you're not to go and preach this name of Jesus. Remember that? In Acts 4 and 5, they, uh, they ended up saying, if, uh, you, you decide for yourself. Is it right to obey God than man? And they, they were trying to snuff out the gospel. And so they, they had them beat up. They were thrown in jail, beat up, and then released them and warned them not to do that. You, you determine, is it right to obey God rather than man? It's always right to obey God. Number four, be careful with your mouth. This, this comes right back to me. As uh, you openly denounce our leaders, remember God hears your every word. Don't let your political opinion overshadow, shall I say, ruin your Christian witness and testimony. We need to, we need to pray for, really pray for. First Timothy 2, 1 and 2, pray for kings and rulers and those that have authority for the almost unimaginable job that they have to keeping the lid on evil and promoting the good. And number five, in la- uh, five help change our land. Oh, the, here's hope. How do we change our land? Here's the greatest way. It's not by uh, uh, political campaigning or, or going down in the street making our signs and all that kind of thing. It's simply the grassroots sharing of the gospel. Do you know that? As people change, their perspective changes, the gospel changes them, and uh, it changes everything. And you know what? They start voting for different people, people that have God's values and purposes. Share the wonderful news of Jesus, how, how Jesus died to pay the price for our sin, for lost sinful men like us. 
Wow, that's the way to change America. It's the grassroots level of evangelism. And number six and last, become a citizen of heaven today. You know that? that we're not the State Department or even an attache to it, but we are preaching the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord should be saved. And Philippians 3.20, Paul said, we are, we are right now as believers, citizens of heaven. And so if you've never trusted Jesus, I urge you to say, Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord, as my God. Thank you for dying for me. Well, the gospel changes even my earthly relationship to the state. It changes everything. It's the ultimate change. Shall we pray? Father, thank you so much for uh, the Word of God. It's so immensely practical. It's convicting. I pray, Lord, that you'd forgive us for our gross failures, uh, even in our relationship to the state. Help us, Lord, to be men and women that are under the authority of God and under your lesser authorities, like government officials, in areas of civil and I pray, Lord, that uh, we'll be known in the community as a law-abiding people that love you, that honor those in authority, that, that keep, us, keep a, a lid on evil and are there when we need them and promote good behavior and the common good. We're so thankful, Lord. Thankful so much. Thank you, Lord, for grace for each one. Open a heart that may need to be saved and save them even this morning. We're so thankful for the gospel and for the door that's open even yet. Bless the food to our body and our fellowship after. Thank you for the hands that have prepared it. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.